Hi, I'm Carolyn. Hi, I'm Jeremy, and we're licensed marriage and family therapists in California. And we've been friends for the past 20 years. For 10 of those years, we've been working as therapists with families, couples, and individuals. And one of us has been through a divorce, a remarriage, and a blended family. Welcome to Weenus, a relationship podcast. This is the Weenus podcast, and I am Jeremy. And how are you doing, Carolyn? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm doing well, Jeremy. How are you? Yeah, you know what? It is a beautiful day. It's cooling down. We've got fall coming, and I just, you know, I, I'm sorry. It's kind of basic, but I'm actually it's looking forward to that pumpkin spice latte. I, I'm sorry. I apologize to the world and no one at the same time. I am already planning outfits with jean jackets, boots, and scarves. So me too. Yeah. The, the, the nice little booties with the fur, you know, mm -hmm. I've got a few of those, you know, mm -hmm. they look really, really, really nice up here on the mountain. Okay. <laughs> so the, the silence that you guys sometimes hear is just me deciding if I'm going to engage with Jeremy or if I just <laughs> let things go. So if you hear him make comments like that, and then you just hear me be silent, that's me just allowing things to pass. And for Jeremy's thoughts to just move on to something else, which they do very quickly. They do. They do. You know, we make room for each other. And, mm -hmm. and, and uh, I love surprising you with things and looking at the, at the look on your face and where you're going, oh my gosh, Jeremy, seriously, really? We're, we're, we're therapists. We're professionals. Really? That's an assumption. That's what you're <laughs> assuming I'm thinking. But really in my head, I'm thinking, do I, how do I get this to pass most quickly? Do I engage with it and just let him have it? Or do I just stay silent and he'll just move on? Well, you're going to love this because today we're talking about difficult people, for instance. Mm -hmm. We are talking about the stress that happens within a relationship because of the complicated family relationships that we all have. The relationships that we have with family members on the outside that have been established for years and years where people in our families expect a certain level of treatment, a certain kind of, of, of service or, or, or getting back to them or something that sometimes gets in the way of the relationship that you have to continue to build over years and years of time uh, to develop that gigantic weenus that we've all been talking about. So when we're talking about difficult family relationships, we've got a couple of things to cover here today. And I figured that we would kind of start with difficult parent relationships. Difficult parents, mothers, fathers, who may have their own intentional or unintentional way of interfering with, uh, with the relationship through a, a number of different ways. And I think I see this most, uh, most commonly incidentally, with the mother that coddles the son, who is now married to a woman. And the son has this kind of weird dilemma of this power dynamic between um, the, the importance of the relationship with his mother versus the importance of his relationship with his wife. Have you kind of seen this sort of thing? Well, I mean, I think it's like you said, these relationships are long standing and we all come into our marriages with 20 years at least of, of a pattern of behavior that's happened with our parents, with our siblings, with our friends. Um, you know, I, I remember even when I first started dating my husband and we spent some time with you guys, 
um, the concern of that he's changing me because I was out hiking, I was in nature, um, you know, and so I think our family and friends, you know, nature likes things to stay the same, homeostasis. And so when we start changing due to our relationship with our partner, for better or worse, it, it can create some concern because even if it's something like addiction or codependence, people don't really like us to change. They want us to be the person that they've always grown to count on. So when, when our parents, you know, suddenly we're out with a partner um, and our parents are used to being the one that we depend on or that we go to, and now suddenly we're turning to someone else, it can be challenging for a parent. You know, that's, that's been your kid and your responsibility and your, Sometimes the relationships are a little enmeshed, right? You know, if we see that kind of coddling. So I think that um, one of the best things we can do is just have some empathy for that, that it, that it is challenging to see any kind of change. We, we like our friends and family to stay as we know them. Yeah, I, I think you're onto something there. If I, if I can bring this down to being as tangible as I can, mm-hmm. we all come from some version of a mess and then try to make a good functional relationship out of whatever mess that is. And mm-hmm. sometimes if, if we can go ahead and call it all a mess, we have relationships that have bad habits uh, with, with, with parents and, and, and parents have to do their own version of, of transition with respecting the dynamic that you now have with your, your partner. And that can be a, a difficult transition for a parent. And I, I, I've spoken with a lot of couples who are dealing with, perhaps they came from a childhood that was chaotic mm-hmm. and the relationship with the parent is chaotic. And so that chaos is now infiltrating things. And you've got a, a you've got one part of the couple that didn't grow up in that level of chaos and one one part of the couple that is used to that kind of chaos and the non-chaos part of the couple is going this is insane no your mother can't tell us to do this no your mother can't drop by anytime she wants to we have to have family time and the, the other part going the other part of the couple going but i'm kind of used to and and it's kind of comfortable this level of um of difficult boundaries, if you will. And, and so there's a little bit more of a, also that part of the couple having to carve out new boundaries that are going to possibly come off as unkind, as maybe arrogant, or maybe as, 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 as cutting people off when, that person is not trying to do that, but is trying to reestablish the relationship with a set of boundaries that is actually more in line with what's going to be healthy for the couple. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've, I've treated people with, with parents who are um, perhaps, I, I guess just use the word, a little immature, a, a little less mature than the younger couple actually is. And so there's this, this difficulty with behavior that you kind of now have to play the parent into and guide with uh, a a grandparent now that kind of has some immature tendencies uh, and and that that places a different kind of power differential with the couple that is now having to guide the grandparent on appropriate behavior, appropriate boundaries, appropriate things to do with children. 
that that uh, maybe seems more normal to a grandparent because that was their parenting style where there's a new parenting style with the couple themselves right and so so again but that's you know to approach it with empathy i think that it's just it's not something that we're taught it's not something we really talk about there's the empty nest syndrome we talk about that and maybe there's a little bit of support around that but in terms of like how do you as a parent process allowing your child to let go to set their own boundaries you're right like we just don't that skill like who's taught that skill unless you were taught that skill before, but like you said, if this is a pretty chaotic relationship, chances are there wasn't really a healthy separation when you moved out or moved into a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 the way that I tend to approach this with couples is to help them put down on paper. What are your values? What are the no-go zones? Where are, what, what does respect look like? How do you define what respect is? And how do you define passive aggression? Maybe the problem is that there is a grandparent that can be passive aggressive and it's something that one party is used to and the other party is certainly not used to and it's unacceptable. So how do you define what that is so that the couple is aligned in how they're going to approach uh, a, an, an issues to establish that level of mutual respect? And you know, you're talking about empathy here the couple needs to be really on the same page with this. And so that you can approach this in a manner that is unified and um, empathetic towards a, a parent that may need to be taught some new kind of boundaries. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of times the partner who comes from that, that chaos um, is often the one left setting those boundaries. You know, if it's the husband and it's his mother that we need to set the boundary with, but he, you know, he's, it's not really for the wife to do what, you know, they can be a unified front and they can have similar ideas, but oftentimes it kind of gets left for the partner whose family is having those difficulties to set that boundary. And that can be really challenging too. Or there's that resentment of, but I don't want to set these boundaries, you know, so, so getting on the same page, I think is really important. Um, and having some flexibility there. Um, my husband's family is very different from my own. Just, I mean, my family is basically me and my father. I have an aunt and uncle in Denver and, and two cousins, um, and an aunt and uncle in, in New Hampshire. And that's it. My husband's family is much larger than that. So there's so many more people involved. Um, and so for me, there, there has to, I have to be much more flexible and understanding of what it means to have a big family. And that's one of the things I love about my husband, um, is that he's the guy that gets the phone call, you know, he's the person that people know they can depend on. Um, and so for me, if I wanted to set the boundary of like, no, we were going out to lunch this weekend or what, you know, whatever, and someone called and needs you. I didn't really get to set that boundary. That's just who he is. That's who I married. And that's his family. There's other places where, yes, we, we have kind of met in the middle about like what are boundaries, time and space boundaries, financial boundaries, those kinds of things. Um, but I think sometimes there is a big ask of like, I need you to remember who I am and who you married and that, that this is a big part of me. You know, we don't just get to, to set if I came into my relationship with the boundaries from my, my small, tiny family, it doesn't work in this larger family dynamic, or maybe there's cultural thing, you know, like maybe there's a culture that where it is much more 
not enmeshed, you know, that has a negative connotation, but some cultures just are much more like they're there all the time kind of thing. Um, and if you come from a culture where that's not the case, then it might be very different. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, I think the, the sensitivity really has to be on the shoulders of the, the person whose family may be violating the, um, the, the boundaries of the couple that it, it's, it's really not okay to just simply say, well, that's just how so-and-so is. That's just how, that's just how my mom is. There, there, there's a respect factor in that where that may be how she is, but is that okay? Is that creating harm? Is right. that drawing, you know, uh, uh, lines, uh, battle lines? Because it can. But I think there's also a certain amount of acceptance of that. That is who she, you know, like my mother-in-law, for example, um, that is who she is. She's, she's very, um, she lives in England now, but when she's here, she stays with us. Um, and she's very involved and she's very, she and Jesse have a very different relationship than like my, m me and my father do. Um, and so, but I, you know, I get it. If she, if there were things that she did that crossed boundaries, that those things with her, I'm lucky that she's, she's open to some of that feedback. Um, but I also, you know, what about accepting there's acceptance and control. Like how much, how much of this behavior do we do? Are we able to say that is who she is? And I love my husband and I love my mother-in-law and I accept that their, their family relationship is different than mine. Just like mine is different than theirs, you know? Yes. So, so I get it. Like, I'm not saying like, whatever, just, okay, whatever, like whatever goes, but I do think that there is some um, suffering that occurs around the kind of a lack of flexibility of, of remembering who you married um, and that's something to think about when we get involved in relationships is what is their family look like? What are their family rules? What does that family structure look like? Is that going to work for you? Because I've seen relationships where people walk in and say, no, that doesn't work for me. And they do cause quite a strain um, in really close families that, yeah, like maybe it's chaotic or different from your own, but maybe it was healthy enough for them. And you don't just get, we don't really just get to say no, like, no. Um, unless there's a really good reason for it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And that kind of ushers in the next subject, which is difficult siblings. And um, we grow up in families with siblings. And there, I mean, when you grow up with somebody, there's not a whole lot of boundaries as being, you know, being kids. And that can develop into difficulties in some of the lack of boundaries going into adulthood. So there needs to be boundaries with uh, siblings and there needs to be a level of mutual thoughtfulness that, that goes on between siblings. And so that those relationships are not somehow interfering with, uh, with a couple. Got to make uh, space and room for those relationships in a way that feels... Uh, you know, collaborative and good, and 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 not a disruptive uh, to the the couple's relationships, and so that the marriage takes precedent uh, over relationships with siblings. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the challenge, really, in in all of these things, is that we're going from relationships that were number one, you know, in people's lives, and suddenly when a partner enters, there can be a lot of resentment or jealousy. Um, you know, just like if your friend starts dating someone and suddenly they're not available to you anymore because their time is really, you know, when we're first in a relationship, 
all of our time suddenly is devoted to this person. Um, and it can leave our friends or our family feeling kind of left behind. Um, and those family relationships even more so. They've known you forever, your entire life. And now all of a sudden that's changing. Um, and so it, it can be hard. And, and we change when we get into relationships. And so that worry is kind of always there, I think, for our friends and family of, is this change for good? What if, you know, what if this doesn't seem, you know, whatever our friends and family are thinking about our relationship, um, which they actually typically don't know a ton about. So with siblings, I can imagine even more, you know, I have a half sister, um, but I didn't grow up with, with a sibling in my home that I had that kind of relationship with. So I can imagine that that can be challenging to suddenly be turning to someone else. And I think that asking our partner to value us I don't know if saying like, I'm your number one, you know, my, my husband has four children. And so I knew entering into the relationship that, that there isn't really, you know, we're kind of all in line. I don't get to say that I'm more important than the kids ever. That's just not the way that it is. But with siblings and parents, you know, they do kind of take a different position in our lives suddenly. And that's tough for them. Yeah. There, there's a, there's a fight that happens a silent fight within a lot of families to keep mm -hmm. things very close. Yeah. And, and I've, I've seen this mainly with people who have a lot of siblings where there's a tiff with one sibling and then the other siblings kind of talk to that sibling and figure it out and then work as these kind of like um, <laughs> uh, emissaries to the person go, well, you know, uh, how are you doing with John? Yeah, John's kind of upset. What about, you know, you know, kind of making up with John here? He's got kind of a good point and everything like that. So you've got this kind of collaborative team effort to pull you back into everything being cool, no matter what like a behavior is or a boundary crossing mm -hmm. is. And so it, it's, it's uh, you know, super important to make sure that the boundaries are clear. Your, yeah. your relationship with your, your uh, partner is the most important. Right. Yeah. I watch that with the kids all the time. It's hard not to kind of mine one of them for data about another. Um, and that is, that is kind of, I guess that's kind of part of the norm, right? Is that we all, we all have different, you know, viewpoints. And so we care about each other. And so we want to kind of hear these things, but yeah, but that kind of working like what, you know, as a pack of like trying to get the other sibling back in line, um, like sheepdog or something, I don't know. But yeah. it's, it's something to be aware of. Um, and again, I think our, our best path out of that is just the empathy and understanding that our relationship is changing. And I know that that's hard for you. Um, and I'm, I'm doing okay. I think that, that sometimes we might pull back. We might not communicate as much anymore because we don't want to hear it. Um, but that just creates more concern, you know, with our siblings, with our parents, with, with our friends. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And if you have one sibling that happens to be really financially successful and you have other siblings that maybe are not, that really does become a thing. Um, and it's something that's difficult for family members sometimes to reconcile. And I, I see this come up uh, a lot with, excuse me, when I'm speaking with people who are dealing with family members that are being kind of demeaning. Mm -hmm. I, I, I speak with people who have done really well for themselves uh, and they're uh, solidly employed somewhere and, you know, they've got some extra spending cash and they work to be fair with that. 
not to flaunt it, not to be arrogant, but they can't hide the car they drive or the fact that they pick up the tab when they take the family out to dinner. And all these sorts of things can be interpreted to mean something different than they actually are. You're picking up the tab because you know that other people struggle a little bit more. And so you take that as a means of you being kind to others and other people decide to take that as you showing off, you know, and it's totally not, uh, not intended to be like that, but there is, I've, I've seen in, in families, some amount of resentment when one person has made you know, specific investments or life uh, choices and have ended up doing pretty well for themselves and just a uh, distance that that creates between uh, siblings or, or extended family members. And it, it actually can be a lot tougher. Uh, and, and a lot of people don't really openly talk about it other than to make fun of or call somebody a name like mm-hmm. so-and-so is a snob now, so-and-so is so rich and they've got that big house and, and everything. Well, what else are you supposed to do but enjoy what you've worked for? And, and that, yeah. that can become a problem. And so how do you, I mean, I don't know if we have the answer for that. How do you address that? You know, in, in my opinion, you just own it. You are who you are. You continue being kind and not everybody's going to be super happy with you. And it's not that you're flaunting uh, things. You live the lifestyle that you chose to live because you decided to make a personal investment in yourself while other people were choosing to not do that. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, it's one of those situations where I don't think that you can make everybody happy with you, but, but it, it, you're going to hear certain levels of criticism of you. What you can't do is try to make those people happy with that because they're upset with an inequity that, 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 that you can't really do anything about. And, and, it's, and it sucks. And I think for me, that kind of brings up that idea of like detachment, um, like within like codependency, detachment is one of our best tools to, to move out of that. And so detachment... Detachment doesn't mean a severing of relationship and kind of, or even just this hands in the air, like you be you and, and whatever we can detach with love. We can detach from love from the people that we love, but it's detaching from that worry of what people are thinking of me, what other people's lives are like trying to solve their problems for them um, and detaching, but by really returning the focus to ourselves instead of asking over and over, you know, how are they doing? What can I do for them? What are they thinking of me? And instead asking like, what do I think of me? How do I feel about myself? How am I doing? Um, And so if that's something I think, whether it's codependency or whether it's the struggle with just, you know, having difficult relationships with our siblings or families because of choices we've made that have, have whatever the, the chances, whether it's economically moving us kind of away from that center, or maybe you had to move to another state um, with your partner for some reason. Um, but just kind of this detachment from their needs as priority, which even if we're not thinking it, you know, in the front of our mind, um, I mean, I certainly, Jesse and I have talked about possibly moving and, and I can't help but think about, well, you know, but what about my relationship with my father who lives here? Um, you know, and, and so sometimes we do have to detach from that and, and decide what's best for us. And then, return our focus out to loving our friends and family in a health 
Um, but again, you know, I think the the start is how am I, how, how does this work for me? Um, instead of how is this working for them and what did they think of me? And this gets down to kind of our, our, our next topic here, which really is getting into codependence uh, and, and your, your constant worry about what other people are going to think and feel, which, you know, to a certain extent, of course, is part of it being, being human. And it's important because it's called empathy. But then when you're getting into the constant pleasing, that is something that can be incredibly difficult when you have a family, family member who is dealing with an addiction, particularly one where they're not acknowledging it. And they continue to blur boundaries with you. And uh, all of the different things that we've talked about come into play where you, maybe you've got a sibling that has an addiction problem. Everybody else is kind of bought into their thing. And they're going, why are you so mean uh, to, to Julie? Why, why are you so mean to her when really you're putting a boundary on her and saying, don't come to my house drunk anymore? Right. You know, don't call me. Don't send me mean texts. I'm not going to reply to that. And and uh, you know, send me mean texts and, and refuse to apologize for it. Addiction really uh, can can turn into an area that strains relationships, particularly for people who are putting their foot down and saying, "I'm I'm not going to go ahead and buy into this anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to allow for this and pretend that it's not happening." Or, or, or allow it to be disruptive and scary to people in my new family that I'm making. Right. Addiction really does drive that level of chaos. You know, we tend to kind of swirl around the addict, trying to fix things, change things, save them because we care about them. Um, and so if that's something that you're experiencing, um, you know, I, I know for whatever reason, people are real, real resistant to meetings, um, but things like Al-Anon, CODA, Meetings for, you know, those of us who are in those kinds of relationships and getting some support um, in, a, in an environment where setting boundaries is supported. Um, because again, like if, if you are, try, are the only one in your family trying to set that boundary with Julie, um, then everyone else does. They, it, it upsets the, the system and it's like, well, why, why are you being so mean? And it, so to get, to be around other people who understand addiction, to be around other people who understand boundaries, um, you know, whether you're dealing with addiction yourself or whether you're dealing with an addict, um, we are just, as a culture, we're taught to kind of ignore that behavior, um, you know, to kind of allow for it. And so to, to really be able to make some progress, I think meetings are really important. There's great podcasts out there about, you know, learning, just learning more about addiction and knowing what that is and, and that it is healthy for you to set a boundary or reading a book about codependency. Um, those kinds of things can be really helpful because we can get tricked into, we shouldn't be setting that boundary that that's not good or it's not okay. You're going to be called names Mm -hmm. for setting boundaries. People are going to resent you and they're going to talk about how you've changed and you can't be afraid of that because if you're growing and you're not changing what exactly are you doing through a life? Because you shouldn't be who you were 20 years ago. I and just I watched a designing women yesterday where Suzanne Sugarbaker um, had gained some weight. And so she went to her class reunion and they gave her the most changed award. And she accepted that by saying that she actually had changed the most, um, that her heart had changed and that she was a better person. Um, 
you know, the sugar bakers, they're always going to turn everything around on you. Um, <laughs> but you're right that that change is a good thing. And that again, if we come from a family system, we like things to stay the same. So for me with my codependency, when I start to set boundaries and say, no, people are not going to be comfortable with that. And I try to tell my clients that every time you're going to start setting boundaries and people are going to try to manipulate you out of them either by brute force or by, you know, saying like, oh, you've changed. Like what's, what's different about you. Um, we all say that we want our friends and family to be healthy, happy, progress in their life. But when those changes happen, like let's say someone suddenly starts setting boundaries or has to move away or doesn't have as much time for you, we don't like it, you know, that, but that's natural. That, that's just something to know. Um, and so like with you guys, I have to really be present of accepting that you guys are really good at setting boundaries. So you're not always going to say yes. Um, but that's not something that's, that's very normal in most relationships. Most people are worse at setting boundaries. They suck. Right. Right. You know, and, and it, it comes down to being at peace with who you are now mm -hmm. being at peace with the fact that the relationship changes by virtue of you changing, maturing, growing, being more invested in your interests and your life and your current relationships. And that that's perfectly fine. It doesn't devalue older relationships, but it does mean that they change a little bit. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's something that other people are going to have to be taught by you mm -hmm. and, and learn from you that certainly when you're talking about uh, uh, somebody who has an addiction problem, a lot of the, the codependence is going to be really unhealthy for them. Right. And so they, they have to learn that you're not in the place where their shenanigans are going to immediately pull you out of the woodwork to come and be a part of their, mm -hmm. whatever it is that's going on. Right. Uh, so enabling and, is and, not necessarily a good thing. Um, right. So setting those boundaries, allowing people to deal with their consequences. Um, again, you know, ideally everyone would just be healthy, happy, doing great. Um, but we all have consequences that we have to deal with in order to learn some things and to change ourselves. So absolutely, I think that that can be, can be tough. That can be really difficult, whether it's a child or a sibling or whoever that is in your life. Um, I think, so again, I think it's really important that you get some support around that, whether it's counseling or support groups or podcasts like this or books, you know, I think there's a lot of resources out there, but just learning to trust your gut, trust yourself. Um, and that it's okay for you to be, to be different. Well, it is, and it is, and, and being different means that, that, that sometimes you've made substantial changes. And the, the, one of the last things that I have here is faith, because a lot of people grow up as a member of a certain faith. And as they grow, they grow, they grow and, and may have a different personal philosophy, move out of that. And that can be a strain in a relationship, particularly with a family that can be very religious. And then there is a, a, a child, a grown child from that family that doesn't adhere to that faith anymore. And there is a draw from the family of origin to try to figure out how do you pull this person back into a faith because there's a, a sincere desire that this person's spiritual salvation right. is tied to them being a part of going to the specific church building as opposed to a different one or, or none at all. And 
those those hints, the the guilt that can be associated with that thing can also draw uh, draw difficult battle lines. Specifically, if the the there's another member of the partnership that was never a part of the original faith. Because then there comes the, well, if he hadn't married her, he'd still be faithful or still have a testimony or, or whatever the, the thing is. And, and some faiths actually instruct people to dissociate completely from a family member. And that, that can be an incredibly damaging thing. And it's a, it's a difficult subject because there's, there's so much sincerity involved in faith and there's so much complication involved in how people of faith uh, come to relate to people who have either left that faith or aren't, aren't a part of that kind of in-group, out-group sort of thing. Um, and I, I, I see it pop up from time to time, and it, it's very, very difficult for people who have made a conscious decision to leave a faith or go to a different faith. And balancing the relationships, and 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 sometimes there's a, a period of time when someone leaves a faith, where they can get downright nasty with people who are still in the faith, and that really doesn't serve anybody. There just has to be a an, a, a strong understanding of a boundary between where you're at right now, and what your family wants to do to love you. Yeah, and I know that's that's something that you specialize in, in particular, is is kind of dealing with that transition or those questions. Um, I think it's about being very honest with our partners when we meet them. You know, when we begin dating, of talking about faith and and having those conversations. Um, it was certainly something Jesse and I talked about. Um, but to be honest about that, you know, if your partner isn't really of faith, not downplaying that you are very involved in your church. Um, and that you kind of expect them to join that, you know, or vice versa. Um, so just making sure I think honesty is the best thing we can do. Um, but that is a very complicated one. And I, I do agree with you that there is a very sincere concern for people who leave the faith um, that that is difficult to address, is difficult to answer those questions. Um, but it can create a lot of, of suffering and struggle for, for people who are making those choices. Um, and so I think, you know, getting some support around that, or again, finding, finding other folks who are of a similar mindset is important. Yeah. Yeah. And it uh, raises, raises kind of another issue of either uh, leaving a very traditional family, a family with traditional values, uh, because you've chosen to spend your life with somebody of the same sex or somebody with a gender identity that is something that's maybe kind of a difficult thing for a family of origin to really understand or they can't understand and and carving out um space where your partner feels respected mm -hmm. uh and and that that can be sometimes a very complicated web to to weave so that there is is a comfort level in how that person your partner is treated from a family that may have more kind of traditional ideas of things well, and I think, you know, when it comes to just basic human respect, um, I think that that is different um, in many ways from, from religion or faith. Um, if my partner is coming into any family situation and isn't being respected for who they are, um, then for me, that's a very hard boundary of either you can or you can't. 
Um, you know, that's a human decency thing. This, this isn't a choice that you get to make for them. Um, you know, in some ways, I think faith falls under that too. It, it, some people, for some, it, it may not be, it's not so much a choice. It just is, um, you know, this is my faith. Um, and for, for things like um, different lifestyles that maybe our family members aren't familiar with, I think really engaging and being as open as we can and, and informative as we can. Um, you know, when I encounter um, those sorts of things, I'm, I'm really grateful when people are willing to answer questions, not because I'm, I have um, any, any qualms with it, but just because I don't know, I don't know the answers to those things. And so I think that, that on, on our side of the relationship, being able to, to answer questions and be kind and caring. I think there is still that, that pretty significant boundary though, of, of, if there's, if, if you're not able to respect that person, then, then we may have to make some decisions there. So it can be a complicated web or it can just be pretty straightforward. Yeah, it, it can. And I'm just glad that we have spent this last 40 minutes answering all the problems and straightening out all the issues. All now the families are fixed. They're fixed. They're fixed. You see this? We're kind of working ourselves out of a job here with, uh, with yeah. this incredible podcast. I know. And all, and all 19 of our listeners. <laughs> it's a growing audience. It is the fastest growing podcast on the 9th of October in 2020. No, I, I, I guess don't know. It's the greatest podcast. It's the great. Yeah, it's, it's the goodest. It's sure. the goodest. It's the goodest. It's yeah. the weenessest. <laughs> so thank you for listening, wieners. I apologize. It's, I think that there may have been a little bit of lag in some of the recording here because of Jeremy being up in the mountains. Um, but hopefully it wasn't too distracting. If you guys have any questions or ideas for topics, please um, send us an email at ascentonlinecounseling at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, feel free to drop us a line there. Um, but keep on listening, wieners. Excellent. So great to chat with you, Carolyn. I'm looking forward to next week. Sounds good. I'll see you then. All right.